Hey everyone, and welcome to episode seven of Buddha Pod. I'm Catherine. Hello, everybody. I'm Andrew, and today we're going to be talking about voting. So the inspiration for this episode is actually from the news because all that we've been seeing is people talking about midterm elections and how we should vote and how we should mobilize young people. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because I think there's also a lot of perhaps misconception about what a Buddhist perspective is towards elections, towards voting, towards politics, and all of these things. And typically, I get the feeling that a lot of Buddhists might believe Buddhists should not be involved in these things at all, that we shouldn't really take part in elections, that we shouldn't vote, and that we should have nothing to do with politics, really. But I think as humanistic Buddhist lay people, we should be paying attention to the world around us. Definitely. And I think, especially with our practice of the Bodhisattva path, it's all about engaging with the world rather than finding our escape from it. Right, because everything is interconnected. And, you know, one vote might not matter, but if everyone votes, then we can actually make a difference. You can vote people in and vote people out. And that's a privilege that a lot of other countries actually don't have. So it's really great that we can exercise our right to vote. Mm -hmm. And I also think that we have this ability, right? Like you said, we have this privilege of voting. We have this ability to create positive change in our surroundings. And this change, like you said earlier, everything is interconnected. We are impacting so many people. It's a very valuable tool to have. And we really should make the most of it. I Have you seen that ad that's been going around on the internet lately? Yeah, um, yeah, the, yeah. One the one where like old people tell young people to not vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're just going to play a clip here. Dear young people, don't vote. Don't vote. Everything's fine the way it is. Trump, that was us. He's our guy. Tax cuts for the rich? <laughs> Hell yeah, I'm rich as f Climate change? That's a you problem. I'll be dead soon. Sure, school shootings are sad. But I haven't been in a school for 50 years. I can't keep track of which lives matter. Sure you don't like it. So, you'll like some meme on Instagram. If the weather is nice, maybe you could go to one of those little marches. You might even share this video on Facebook. But you won't vote. You young people never do. But I do. I do. I do. Midterms, primaries. Every single election. We'll be there, but you won't. Because we're a generation of doers. Not whiners. And we're doing great. anything it's well of course the ad is also meant to be satire right it's supposed to make fun of how young people don't vote and how most of the time at least in the u.s it's a lot of very elderly people who dominate the polling booths oh yeah for sure i'm pretty sure like most people don't think like this um but it is true that young people have the lowest percentage of voter turnout even if they're eligible um, I think the purpose of this ad was to actually mobilize these young people and inspire them to go out and make a change. 
one that one sentence really struck me is that they said they're a generation of doers, which our generation we definitely can work on that. Mm-hmm. And I think bringing this back to a sort of Buddhist perspective and what Buddhism has to say about voting, and we're talking about how sometimes it feels like Buddhism is advocating for people to focus on their own individual practice and really not worry too much about the external world. We're never separate from that world. And especially in the modern age, we're not going to be able most of the time to live in a mountain monastery where we're surrounded by like deer and rabbits and we just sit in meditation all day. We're going to be engaging with the world and really with a lot of monasteries in the US, they're based in major metropolitan areas and cities and in places where they're deeply affected by the policies that our government enacts. So with that sort of interconnectedness, that sort of collaboration in mind, we have to be very mindful of what we are voting for and how our votes are going to affect not just us, but everybody around us. I think that when you're going out to vote, you also want to be as informed as possible. And I feel that it's our responsibility as voters to get acquainted with you know, who you're voting for and like different policies and whether or not that's going to affect certain people. That's something that I've become better at since becoming more Buddhist. Yeah. And I've also continually over the years, I've heard people say like, oh, I'm going to move to Canada or like I'm going to move to so-and-so country. And looking at that from a Buddhist perspective, that's actually not what we're trying to do with the Bodhisattva path. Because when we think about what it means to be a bodhisattva, it's not running away from a difficult situation, but trying to bring as much compassion and wisdom as we can to the situation. Right. Perhaps this is sort of a very extreme example, but when we see this personified in bodhisattvas, um, Chittigarpa bodhisattva vowed to remain in hell to help sentient beings rather than saying, oh, all of you sentient beings in health, you can just stay there. I'm going to go and find my enlightenment. That's not what he's doing. He's actively down there in the depths of hell, trying to save as many sentient beings as he can. And I would argue that like a lot of people who are in like the public service sector, they're also trying to do the same thing and being a bodhisattva and trying to make this world a better place. And I think that on some I can't say for all, but I can definitely see like a lot of politicians like trying to do good and they want to help their constituents. So I think that as citizens, even though we're not controlling lives of thousands of people, I think we can still practice that bodhisattva path by, you know, being informed and educating others and encouraging other people to vote. Especially when we think about voting in our age range, the sort of college student, young adult kind of age range, a lot of that discussion takes place on social media. So I'm very active on Twitter, and I follow a lot of young political activists. I think that they're creating this atmosphere where young people can get involved with politics, which is great. I actually was not 
very politically aware until maybe college. These online presences, speaking out, really educated me on various issues and stuff like that. But a lot of the debate kind of is polarized. A lot of issues are being simplified and... Constant internet outrage, which I was definitely guilty of. But after a while, I just realized that outrage won't get us anywhere. And if we want a real progress, then we have to really open our minds up to different possibilities and what different people had to say. Mm -hmm. And I think people like to be sort of self-righteous sometimes. I feel like that's really counterproductive, especially because in Buddhism even, and I think we can sort of talk about it with a more concrete example, how Taylor mm -hmm. Swift got thousands of people to register to vote. That's a really powerful move. And of course, while she did receive some praise for that, there's always some criticism. And I always think, yeah, we can be critical about every situation, but how much is that really helping? We can say Taylor Swift should have done this earlier. Why should? Why didn't she do this earlier? But is that really bringing anything positive to the situation? Of course, we could have all done things earlier, but how many of us are getting thousands of people to vote, right? There are a billion things that we could have done in our lives that we haven't. Why are we using something like that to criticize other people? And in Buddhism, this actually is embodied in one of the vows of Samantabhadra Bodhisattva. Uh, and so one of the ten vows of this Bodhisattva is rejoicing in other people's merits. So even though we are not necessarily able to do something that other people do, if we see someone do that and we rejoice in that, we praise that, we develop this earnest sense of joy and happiness in it, the merit of that thought is the equal to the person who actually did the action. So I think in like more Buddhist settings, this comes out when people like contribute funds to say like build a temple or to like build a hospital or something. You might not have the resources to fund an entire school or hospital or monastery, but being able to rejoice in that rather than say, tisk tisk. That person should have given the money 10 years ago. Why didn't they? Or they only gave $5 instead of 20. Like, who are you to judge? You know what I mean? <laughs> and like, yeah. I feel like this criticism ultimately comes from this attachment to your own views. Like you have such a strong view of what's right and wrong that you feel the need to criticize other people or to find fault in others when in reality no one is perfect you can't see see the causes and conditions behind everything so you know going back to that example Taylor Swift made that announcement encouraging people to vote I think rather than keeping her accountable for what she should have done in her career I think just being glad in general that a positive outcome came out of that I think it's so important. And, you know, that, again, just reinforces this idea that we are all in this together. Something else that I was thinking of, um, when we were talking about how a lot of this debate happens on social media platforms, for example, Taylor Swift's posts and things like that, <laughs> a lot of times 
it's also easy to see things like these critiques or these posts and then have very sudden reactions to them. Mm -hmm. And what I've come to find is that it's a lot more helpful for me, at least, to use these posts on social media as opportunities to develop compassion. So it's not to say, oh, Taylor Swift, why didn't you do this earlier? It's, I'm glad that Taylor Swift did this. And if I see someone perhaps criticizing Taylor Swift, it's not, oh, why are you so terrible for criticizing Taylor Swift, but rather, oh, I hope that person develops a sort of more optimistic view on life mm -hmm. or a more optimistic view on the situation, at least. And it sort of becomes a catalyst for constructive change rather than a reason to be angry. Right. Because I definitely get angry at some of the stuff I see. And it's not that anyone's feelings are invalid. I think that people's feelings are valid just because they have them. To me, it's more about how we can process those feelings I think that we tend to go in a more destructive direction with how we think about certain things. And I can definitely say that by watching myself and being self-aware with where my feelings are coming from, I can more or less practice putting myself in other people's shoes and practicing compassion in that sense. So I definitely see thinking in a compassionate way can lead to constructive change. And I think in regards to sort of developing compassion in every aspect of life, I was reading the chapter on peer practice. This is part of the Avatamsaka Sutra. And it's like, there's a verse for every little action, whether you're using the restroom or brushing your teeth and all of these things. And I think what's most striking to me is it prepares compassionate verses for for good situations and for really terrible situations. So, for example, mm -hmm. there's one where it's talking about life from the perspective of a monastic who has to beg for food. And it says, like, oh, if you end up with an empty bowl, this is what you would say. And this is how you would sort of develop compassion in that situation. And if you have a full bowl, this is what you would say. And this is how you would develop compassion. There's always a compassionate answer to the situation. And of course, like you said, anger is instinctual. It's right there. But are we really here to follow those habits and continue tumbling around in this world of samsara of hatred and anger and more hatred and more anger? Or can we slowly start to purify that and transform that and bring that violent state into something that's serene, that's calm, that's peaceful, that's compassionate? Mm -hmm. I think those verses, as Buddhists, we can develop them in our own life as well. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, this is a practice. Reminding ourselves to be compassionate, that's how you will become compassionate. Like me personally, I'm naturally a very critical and kind of judgy person. That's something that I've noticed about myself. But over and over again, I remind myself that I shouldn't have these thoughts and not really pushing them down, but working through them and thinking mm -hmm. like, okay, why am I feeling this way? Having a very logical conversation with myself and also using 
what I've learned in the temple and as a Buddhist, that's how you can further your practice. It's in your daily life. It should be embedded into your everyday thought process. Definitely. And I think the temple environment is very conducive to that too. When you're working as a group, when you have disagreements with people and when you run into challenges and last minute changes that you never would have imagined, you're put in very stressful and difficult situations. And it's in those difficult times, those challenges, that all of these thoughts, all of these habits start to come out. And hopefully by then you would have had this Buddhist knowledge, all of these teachings inside of your mind, and you would have the tools to use to work through them. Being in a monastery setting for a few summers now, it's really rewarding to be able to get through that and then look back and see the growth that I've had. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm sure you've had this too with like Buddhist college, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely pre-Buddhist college me is very self-righteous. I tend to not look at all the things involved. The information that I consumed is like kind of like an echo chamber where like I consume the things that I agree with and then they kind of reinforce my views and it's like a positive feedback loop. You know, after, I wouldn't say like it's just because of Buddhist college, but also living in that environment and being able to just let my mind focus on the Dharma, that carried over to when I came back to the real world, that habit stays with me. You contemplate the different causes and conditions. There's this thing I do where like I contemplate like, okay, this person, they seem really different from me, but I contemplate their daily lives and their feelings. And I start to realize that they have the same feelings and emotions as I do. Being at the Buddhist college for half a year, that really helped me see the causes and conditions of things. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, again, We started this conversation by saying that Buddhism isn't about going up into a mountain monastery and meditating there for a very long time. But I think there are these places that are more conducive to developing one's own sense of Buddhism. And I think these long retreats are very helpful for that. But it's always done with the understanding that you will go back into society and bring what you've learned from that space into your daily life. And of course, Mm -hmm. that's not to say that like monasteries are really that separate from our own daily lives as well. I think a lot of times it's very easy to romanticize the ideal of a Buddhist temple um, as being so secluded that everything is peaceful. No, it's all part of this imperfect world with all of the challenges and difficulties that we encounter on an everyday basis. It's just, you're surrounded by the Dharma, by people just practicing Buddhism. And so it's a different environment, but it's a very good training place. And ultimately we have to bring all of these teachings into our daily life so that every place that we go to is a place of practice. And so that every person we interact with is someone we see as a Buddha and Bodhisattva. Mm -hmm. I think the key is not to be attached to that serenity, calm, and peace. Say you're in a meditation hall and you meditated for like seven days and you really loved it, but it's not about like staying there forever. It's about 
being able to have that everywhere that you go. Mm-hmm. And as we talk about bringing all of these teachings into wherever we go, what I want to sort of emphasize is this idea of building a pure land in our own world, in the world that we live in. And this is one of the main ideas of humanistic Buddhism. So if we want to build this pure land on earth, if we want to improve the state of this realm that we live in, we have to be involved, we have to be active. And one important aspect of that right now is voting. And I mean, for all of you listening at home or wherever you are, please do encourage your friends to vote. I mean, like we said, our social circles are pretty involved in voting, but that doesn't mean everybody else's is. So you could be that sort of spark that gets people into the civic process and engaging with how our government works. Yes, and there's definitely an abundance of information out there because it's so close to midterms. The midterm elections, if you are registered to vote by now, you are good to go. And it is on November 6, 2018. And depending on where you live, like you can also do early voting and stuff. Um, in my state, Florida, there's early voting. And um, yeah, so go out there and mobilize yourselves and let's crush this midterms. Yeah, and also I know since this is also geared towards a college student audience, um, a lot of us are probably going to school somewhere kind of far away from home. For example, I live in Portland, Oregon, but I'm currently in Southern California. So see if you have a mail-in ballot option, at least for Portland, we do. And so I mailed my ballot in last week. So Oh, um, good job. Yeah, I'm proactive. It's like three, I mailed it in like, yeah, three weeks before actual election day. Now I'm sure that it will be counted. So if you're somewhere not near your home, see if you can still vote in that district. Or if not, see if you can vote locally in the place that you are attending school. Yes, those are all very good information. Well, I guess this does it for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll try to put some resources up on a website and a blog post that's following this episode. We'll also put some stuff on there as well. And thank you for listening. I'm Catherine. And I'm Andrew. See you guys next time. Bye.